0: Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Lines Little Bit Donkeys Podcast. I am Joe, and with me, as more frequently always now, Liam. Hey.
1: What's up, buddy? Oh, not too much, dude. Uh, It's 95 degrees in Philly. Jesus. Uh, I'm recording this shirtless. Uh, The AC in our house physically can't lower the temperature. Uh, I've got fan wine in my fucking ear from our uh, home server. I've got a oh god a monster energy ultra watermelon which is absolutely fucking disgusting tasting and I like the zero sugar monsters but this thing is like candy uh I
0: can't complain too much about the heat here um (laughs) you know, like, you, Joe. <laughs> obviously, like I, I'm missing this heat dome or whatever that everybody's living through right now. Yeah, thank being... God you
1: moved out of the Pacific Northwest. Yes. I was thinking that before we started. Yeah, my house is gonna
0: my, like the house that I used to live in is absolutely gonna burn to the ground. Uh <laughs> Like the, one <laughs> one of the weird parts, about yeah, Hawaii, yeah, one of the weird parts about Hawaii is it like it never gets super hot. Like it it'll it'll breach the 90s occasionally, but it also never gets cold. So like you're looking at like a 15 degree north or south movement, um, which can be weird, uh, especially being a guy from Michigan who came from the Pacific Northwest. Um, And since we're doing a can check, I'm quenching my thirst with a black cherry vanilla bang because my heart has wronged me and I'm trying to kill it. Oh, God, <laughs> that's going to help your TBI, buddy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, The the medicinal qualities of, of pure chemist chemistry being chugged on an hourly basis uh, for, for my brain damage. I've uh, also
1: it, got a Gatorade. Don't worry about it. I, I believe my water bottle is empty
0: because I did not plan ahead. But you know who else didn't plan ahead? America.
1: Uh, yeah, we'd seem to do that a lot. <laughs> Because we are how talking we find, about... How do we find ourselves in this position again?
0: You know, like, so we're talking about Pancho Villa and the the what's generally called the Pancho Villa Expedition. Um, now, normally, I, I guess this is like my unpopular uh, history take, is that whenever anybody is like, did you guys learn about this in school? I was like, yes, you just weren't paying attention. Uh, or we were literal children and didn't know how to... F- process and memorize this shit right Um, this is one thing i actually did not really learn anything about other than like he raided into the u.s and then we uh uh, world war one happened and nothing happened in between right (laughs) like don't need to mention that little detail Um, uh about that um and like i after researching this i figured i figured out um why and it wasn't because World. I mean, obviously, World War I did happen immediately afterwards. And then, you know, it was a much bigger part of our collective military and civil history in the United States. But um, it was just bad. Like nothing good happened here. Like the Battle of Columbus, which we will talk about in this episode and the expedition in episode two. Um, like if, if it was just the battle of columbus like yeah the u.s military actually looks good there way to way to go gentlemen we um, did it yeah um and then it's all downhill from there because much like it is. <laughs> it's like this weird yeah especially being you know i'm 33 now you're on, you're what 30 29 buddy. 29 you're you're almost on the backside. uh um, i'll do that to me Like our lived experiences and histories, and I assume most of our listeners as well, is that like the U.S. military is like a a giant military juggernaut that can do whatever it wants wherever it wants, right? Um, And that like we're we're talking at a point of history where that wasn't even close to being a concept that could exist yet, right? Um, Right. The federal army was laughably small because, like, if you remember. There's a whole like amendment about that. Like (laughs) the founding fathers really did not trust a gigantic standing army. So we just didn't have one. It was a couple thousand dudes spread mostly across the West. Um, and like it was mostly based around national guard units. Um, which we're not uh, what you could, could what you would call like uh, a one to one comparison to today's national guard. They were not a professional military force
1: at all. It was like your drunk uncle dudes. who's missing yeah. hands. Oh yeah, that's why they call him Nine Figure Steve. Don't worry about him. <laughs> we got him guarding the armory.
0: Yeah, and like we're going to talk about a part of American military history where we're obviously doing uh, like proxy imperialism with money because we got we still have money, right? Uh, but we don't quite have the weapons to do it physically, but we try anyway, and it 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 doesn't go great. Um, but as longtime listeners of the show probably picked up, we have something of a trend throughout American history is that we like to get involved in dumb wars with no real end goal. America! Uh, yeah. Uh, much like the Mulan dipping sauce of Rick and Morty, this is something of our series arc. Um, in this case, it being a big, collapsing, dumb empire. Uh, though, like, it's kind of like Buzz Lightyear. It never really stopped collapsing. <laughs> it got to the <laughs> point like this can't possibly be sustainable. Twenty twenty one, baby, we're still here. We're <laughs> yeah, still doing right.
1: uh, It's fine. That's uh, fine. It's fine. I, I, you know, you're just like, oh, I don't understand how the Roman Empire took so long to, oh, uh. yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that
0: when you look at the breadth of history, it's like. Mm okay so things just don't happen overnight like there there's no guy that witnessed the fall of Rome. like it, it right. happened uh now if, if you talk if you talk to stefan molyneux crowd it happened because of brown people and i'm sure there's a, a large group of people in america that believe the same thing about us eventually so you know it's bad also they're both wrong um moving on <laughs> Instead, we're, you know, I would say um, if we're going to look at a dumb fucked up war that didn't need to exist going back in American history. I mean, we already talked about the War of 1812. Um, so we have to go like the other ones. So instead, we're going to talk about uh, something of a more fucked up, dumb flavor of American war. One that honestly, in my opinion, really uh, plants the seeds of a lot of future shit we would do. Uh, because we thought that this was okay, and really didn't suffer any kind of political or civil backlash. Uh, so they're like, oh, I guess this is fine then. Uh, now, obviously, there's a lot of people in the comments that are going to say this happened you know, in the early 1900s. Things like us getting involved in Latin America and you know the Kingdom of Hawaii have already occurred. Yes, I'm aware. Those are much smaller. Uh,
1: yeah, we <laughs> and, haven't done an incursion yet.
0: Yes, I'm sorry <laughs> that I have not covered every footstep of American history. Give me time. We'll um, get there, folks. Yeah. Keep, you know, keep listening, and eventually I'll run out of things to talk about. If, as long as we stop doing dumb things, which I know which part I'm going to put my money on. Um, now, we are going to talk about the time that we... Invaded Mexico, though we do not like to use that term to chase a guy named Pancho Villa uh, with no real method or plan. And uh, Pete, like I said, it's, it's something that people like to forget that happened because you know World War Two or sorry World War One happened immediately afterwards and made our army actually like marginally less dumb, which is why people like to focus on. And you know, obviously, the large battles take place in World War One that we wished would have happened in Mexico, and, and nobody wanted to do that. It's, it's like that joke, what if we have a war and nobody shows up? That kind of yeah. happened. <laughs> like, Mexico's like, yeah, we're not really going to take part in this. Bye. Guys? Guys, you pro- Guys! <laughs> hey! Someone come fight me! You yeah. said! No, don't fight me like that. Come fight me like, you know, I was fighting myself exactly how I would want to fight. Um, yeah, armies are dumb. <sighs> now... If you were to sit through, I don't know, maybe a, a history class in New Mexico or Texas, maybe you'd learn more about this. Probably not, uh, but you'd probably hear about this crazed Mexican bandit who stormed over the border, leaving the U.S. no choice but to slap together an expeditionary force and chase him through Mexico. Turned out, it was pretty cool, and that's yeah. The we're not the victims here, uh, which seems to be. I mean, yes. He did invade the US via a raid, but a lot of things happened to uh, before that. Um, you know, obviously, this is your disclaimer that no, we are, we are not in favor of riding horses through towns and shooting civilians. However, sometimes uh, I'm one thing be leads to another. On this, uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I always knew this relationship would break down. I didn't know it was, uh, was going to be this- on horse raids.
1: <laughs> oh, podcast <sighs> over. Yeah, it's been it's been good.
0: (laughs) Anyway, uh, cue cue the credits.
1: (laughs) Now, uh, just bumping by myself in my in my room.
0: Now, the the seeds of what we're going to be talking about—the expedition and uh, all of everything in between—were planted during the Mexican Revolution, which we almost certainly helped cause. Now, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to dive into a full history of the Mexican Revolution here i've already laid out there's we're only talking two episodes so if, if sorry you would, about it <laughs> if, if you would like a full in-depth exhaustive uh course on the mexican revolution i cannot recommend mike duncan's uh revolution podcast that covers it all much better than i ever would no this is not a paid plug i just really like that show um Now, also, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of shit here. Um, One, I don't speak Spanish. Two, if I tried, you'd still make fun of me. So deal with it. Um, Now, what instead I'm going to do is, one, do my best. And two, talk about how exactly we got involved in all this. Because if you think uh, our history and meddling in other parts of the world is is new, oh, buckle up. (laughs) Now... The U.S.-supported Mexican president, Porofiro Diaz, uh, and the two had a very, very close relationship in regards to trade and other stuff like investments and things like that. At one point, Diaz decided he wasn't going to run for president anymore. And he changed his mind uh, and then ran anyway. Uh, and then to make things even better, he imprisoned all of his political opponents. Good
1: for him. Now,
0: for at him. the time, I know this is going to sound weird to you know, us in the modern day, but the U.S.-Mexico border was virtually open at the time. Uh, you could just kind of go back and forth, almost like borders are and pointless.
1: And I guess and it wins again, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: uh, yeah, for a long time there, uh, you know, nobody we, we really seem to care. Uh, was it a rating? It's an open border. Oh, that'll change. Um, oh, okay. Now, historically, whenever an uprising or a crackdown occurred in Mexico in the political sphere, a lot of the people on the opposite side of that crackdown would flee across the U.S. border. Uh, you know, like I said, there was, there's no border patrol yet. Uh, they wouldn't be even found until 1924 where it began its reign of terror. And uh, as a wandering death squad that continues till this day, um, like there was uh, like states that had some kind of very light border enforcement. Uh, we will talk about that a little bit later. I know some people probably tearing their hair out. Um, but yeah, it was, you could just. It's 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 almost like a, a line in the dirt isn't all that important at some point in history. Um, and there was it wasn't like back then there was no flow of people. Uh, there was always a northerly flow of Mexican workers coming to work in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, wherever. Uh, sure. That was absolutely still happening. Now, anyway, uh, a lot of these uh, the, the political opponents from Mexico would use the U.S. as a safe haven, knowing that you know no Mexican soldiers are going to come kick open their door and arrest them to build political and military support as well as like fundraise uh, because this might surprise you Texas has a rather large Mexican population and this is because it's Mexican we stole it uh- <laughs> uh, scoreboard baby yeah, right um, Those. don't worry our series on the, on the Texan revolution is coming at some point and uh, yep just prepare yourself for that Texas <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have I have to publish that before I somehow relocate back to Texas and get lynched. Um, yeah, that's common. <laughs> good luck to you, Joe. Yeah, that's good. Uh, this population uh, of diaspora would fund and staff various movements. Like this is something that you know, as an Armenian very very obvious to me armenian diaspora are incredibly powerful in, in their organi- organizing and fundraising capabilities and like mexicans would do the same thing for their move whatever their movement was down in te- down in mexico at the time um and diaz's enemy francisco maduro uh did just that and he, hide- he hid he hit out in san antonio uh shit city if i'm going to say so myself bad choice yeah, sir. pick uh, austin
1: the river <laughs> the river walk is pretty disappointing alamo's all right uh, except that you it's none of it's open I was just in Austin and San Antonio yeah and you can just uh, like walk around it yeah and you get to see the statues and, and, and then you go home you know everybody always shit talks like
0: say Egypt for uh the gross commercialization of like the the pyramids or whatever like oh there's a burger shit all the Alamo. Yeah like you go outside the Alamo there's like four bars and eight restaurants and and people hawking shit on every corner and uh, <laughs> and, it's and surrounded and Bible, by skyscrapers. <laughs> Bible dumpers yelling at me. Yes, also that um yeah uh I I will say this. San Antonio still better than Houston. That's true. Houston is fucking hell on earth. Um, now, Maduro called the election that Diaz won rigged, and he wanted to be nullified. Uh, stop the count, if you will. Um, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> now, to be fair, he was probably not lying. It was probably a complete uh, fraudulent bullshit. Um, and the U.S. generally didn't give a shit about any of this. Until a report came out that Maduro was rallying people to his cause, which would cause unrest within Mexico. Now, one of the reasons the U.S. was so close to Diaz and Mexico was due to the massive amount of money that the U.S. had invested into the economy. thought to be around $2 billion in, 19, in 1900s money. So, like, a lot of money, right? Now, sure. the U.S. knew if Diaz didn't fuck off like he said he would, the unrest and probable civil war that would follow would tank their investments. and. If there's one through line that you can follow through history is if you do not want Americans showing up with guns and you can sub out Americans, British, Soviet, Russian, Chinese, whatever, you do not fuck up with the you do not fuck with the money. You just do not fuck with the bank accounts, right? Right. If you do not want an imperial power parking on your doorstep and kicking in your door, what's up, guys? Don't mess with the money, right? And that's what they are worried about. So President William Howard Taft deployed soldiers to the border. Now, this was thought to be a a support for Maduro, showing that like, hey, look, we know that he's here. And also, like, we're going to put soldiers here so you guys can't fight on the border. Right now, this is despite Taft's personal and America's previous support for President Diaz. They realized that, like, hey, Diaz lied. He's more than, more than Maduro gaining support. Diaz was incredibly unpopular. So, like, look, man, you need to leave. Diaz resigned shortly thereafter, seeing his main supporter, that being the U.S., telling him to go away, which led to another election. And surprise, Maduro won, becoming president. Now, Maduro was not like a man of the people. He's one of the one of the richest families in the entire country, and it did not take him long to piss everyone off, from the elites down to the common people, because he had no idea what he was doing. Uh, within just one year of being elected, there are four revolts, uh, which is good if you're going for a high good. score. Yeah, good for that. Yeah, he didn't want to stop at the hat trick. He wanted to go for one more. Now this time, not only was the U.S. pissed, see the unrest problem from before that they were trying to get ahead of, then made even worse. But so was the Mexican military, which was also run by a different group of elites that also hated Maduro, eh. as one does. Uh, now the military began to plot to overthrow Maduro, putting General Victoriano Huerta in charge of the whole thing. Hell of a name. yeah. <laughs> now. K- completely uh, separate from everything else. I once got pulled over by a cop with the last name Huerta and he was a dick. So I'm going to assume that, I don't know, it runs in the name. It's universal. It must be universal. (laughs) Yeah. All Huertas are bastards. (laughs) That's not true. A-D-A-B. Unless you're listening to this show and your last name was Huerta, you're cool. Um, Now he would eventually be in charge of the whole thing. But before they did that, they had to reach out to the U.S. to let them know what they were doing. Uh, Not like, to like help them, but to inform them like, hey, I'm going to take over, right? So they reached out to U.S. Ambassador Henry Lane Wilson, who instead of just saying, yeah, sure, fine, whatever, fully got involved and was helping plan the coup. <laughs> now, nice. the,
1: I like that. I like that. He, he had real can-do attitude. The best part
0: was like, president didn't actually know. Like, uh, Now, one of the things that uh, Wilson did was feed the president um, like news articles uh from oh, like mexico ah yeah that were like hey look how look how much of a piece of shit maduro is this huerta guy is cool also i do we would never coup. do
1: we would never do anything to anyone named maduro ever again thank no. god yep
0: uh eventually the military did launch its coup and after the so-called 10 tragic days of just a horrible violence uh maduro resigned and general huerta called up the president of the united states and said quote I have the honor to inform you I've overthrown this government. The armed forces support me. And from now on, peace and prosperity will reign. And then declared himself president. And then, then shot Maduro. Oh,
1: okay. Mexico, <laughs> a country famous for its stability. Uh, now,
0: here's a small problem. Now, we don't know what Taft would have done in this situation because he wasn't president anymore. Um, generally speaking, the guy that you don't want to do this around is, is, is President Woodrow Wilson not because he was a good person or even a good president but because he considered himself something of a master of human rights campaigning and activism which oh, no. is laughable admittedly but he had some very very high ideas assuming you were not say a black person in the US or a racial minority yearning for independence from say you know France sure. Vietnam I'm talking about Vietnam uh, oh, okay. <laughs> but like you know on the border there when you know the US is supporting Huerta, like, oh god, I, I have Pearl clutching about him murdering his political opponents. Like, what did you think he was gonna do? Um now Wilson was horrified that Huerta would seize power and murder his political opponents. Uh so even though the previous US administration, many members of which were now part of the Wilson government, were totally it was totally fine with this coup and slaughter. Uh, Wilson refused to acknowledge him as the president of Mexico and then immediately began pressing other revolutionary groups to turn against the now president Huerta. Now, all of this probably really surprised Huerta, who, remember, was working with the ambassador to do this. He's like, wait, I thought you guys were cool. (laughs) What the fuck, man? I thought we were friends now then where to actually got one over on wilson he ended up being a pretty smart guy uh wilson withdrew his name from the presidential election instead putting his friend pascal Lasserre in the position of president with himself as secretary of the interior now this seems like a very shrewd political move and it is only if you only care about like i don't know uh norms and civility and and like how things look from the outside if you don't look too closely sure because according to mexican presidential laws the secretary of the interior was next in line for president should say Uh. anything happened to the president now uh, sure Wilson, this is
1: just a coincidence
0: yeah of course uh you know that's kind of funny because i i know interior means something different in uh in mexico but like could you imagine the secretary of the interior in the u.s having that much a bu- power like a
1: buffalo <laughs> <Ooh>.
0: <laughs> like i used to work uh for the uh, bureau of land management which falls under uh interior and they have absolutely no power or funding <laughs> i just imagine this guy like being next in line for the presidency is kind of hilarious uh, now, uh Wilson uh decided, eh, fuck it, this is good enough. He's not president anymore. Nothing could possibly happen to Pascal. Um now they gave the impression uh to Huerta that this is a very good idea. And if this you know switch occurs, they would recognize the new government because you know we said that we wouldn't recognize Huerta as president, not as like his best friend being president. But this is a problem, remember. Wilson and the U.S. had been telling, funding, and arming people to fight Huerta and his government. Despite the switch in leadership, people were still fighting them. Cause weird how that happens. Like, ah. yeah. <laughs> now the U.S. had to backpedal and tell revolutionary leaders to support Lassarain. Uh, <laughs> because now we're cool again for real this time. We're
1: friends. We've always been. We've always been at war with East Asia.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, of course these rebellious groups and uh, revolutionaries and whatever refused because they weren't puppets like they had their own goals in mind like yes we will accept American money and guns but we don't give a shit about America which is the is like the opinion that you should have if you're going to take weapons
1: from the government like right. you know just say do, just do whatever you want just do yeah. whatever you want it doesn't matter
0: Then of course uh so you know you know, just pat, tack another one on the board of, of how many times is the U.S. going to help fund and create rebel movements and then lose control of them. <laughs> this is the, this is a prequel, if you will. You know, then, of course, Lacerain resigned, heading the presidency right back to Huerta. Who could who could have seen that coming? <laughs> no way to have possibly foreseen this. Now, the U.S., several layers deep into regime change, decided to just keep on going. It, like a sunk cost fallacy, but for an entire nation. Um, so they began to ship weapons and money to various rebel groups fighting Huerta, while Huerta turned Mexico into something resembling a military dictatorship. Um, now, at one point, Mexican soldiers and American sailors opened fire at one another over a shipment of weapons, leading the U.S. to invade and occupy the city of Veracruz. An occupation that would go on for seven months. Uh, now, uh, the only thing stopping the US. from like full-on war, like the Mexican and, and American governments from full-on war, was really that like neither one of them wanted to commit, which is really weird. like me- now granted Mexico's dealing with a lot of internal problems. They probably couldn't fight a war if they wanted to at this point, but the U.S certainly could. they're like, yeah, we really don't want to, even though you know, we already invaded well, you. we're we not gonna- to. It. <laughs> it, it was like it wasn't uh, any moral or ethical reasons why the like we didn't just continue invading from Veracruz. It was just the we didn't want to like we, we, we don't. Honestly, it was a lot of like we probably would need to call up hundreds of thousands of soldiers to do that. And we really can't handle that. So let's not do that. So they didn't. Um, Now, the main hitching point for the U.S. not to go further, so they said, was Huerta to step down from the government, handing the reins of power over to Carranza, another guy that they had been helping to support. Uh, In the meantime, the occupation led to a total breakdown in relations between the U.S. and Mexico and a burning hatred for Huerta on the part of Wilson. Not only did Wilson hate Huerta, but so did a lot of people within Mexico. Now, this led to us the so-called Constitutionalist Army to rise up against Huerta after the murder of Madero, and they began to swell with support and, you know, guns from America. Hey! Now, the Constitutionalist Army was led by Carranza and had the support of several other rebel groups, such as one led by Francisco Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata. Now, uh, Vio was the commander of the Division del Norte, or the you know, North Division. Uh, I learned a new word today um, of the Constitutional Army, and you know this was not a very unified force. Like Villa and Zapata had z- very different goals than Carranza, but they're like, you know what? It, like, like we've said time and time again, the universal theory of fuck that guy. They always hated Huerta.
1: Hell yeah, man.
0: They, they hated Huerta more than they hated each other for now. Eventually, Huerta himself would be forced out of power, bringing about the rise of Carranza. But the US decided this one wasn't good enough. Now, with,
1: so much restraint
0: we're showing here. That's because we just lack the ability to do anything. Like yeah, uh, this is the age of like dreadnoughts and shit. Like you can't just launch a cruise missile at someone because you don't like them. You actually have to. De- you actually have to deploy an entire armed force, which we generally don't have. Uh, so with the rise of the of Carranza, the war did not end. Instead, the constitutionalists led by President Carranza split from the conventionalists led by Villa and Zapata, and soon the war started right back up again in 1914. The US originally didn't like Carranza either, despite the fact they had just been supporting and arming him for years. <laughs> now the main reason was that like Wilson decided that Carranza wasn't doing good enough and as far as democratic reforms, because like they agreed like Carranza's like, Yeah, sure, give me guns and shit, and I'll totally bring democracy to Mexico, dude, for real. And Wilson's like, Okay, you couldn't okay, possibly problems. have yeah don't i crossed my fingers when i signed that deal with the president of the united states uh, and like to be fair carranza did do some stuff um but it wasn't good enough for wilson which who gives a shit like just, right. just stop <laughs> just fucking
1: stop man
0: <laughs> now we need to go through a fourth president so wilson more did I
1: crave more <laughs>
0: You can't, just, you can't just stop at one regime change. You can't just stop at two regime changes. Got to go for the full hat trick. Um, so Wilson did what else but continued to support Villa and Zapata as they continued to wage war against a newly installed Carranza government. But slowly, Wilson decided that Carranza had, enough, uh, uh, had done enough changes uh, towards the uh, the democratic process and then stopped funding rebels and instead decided to support the new Mexican government. For once, it seems it was over. (laughs) But it wasn't. Um, Some of this might have actually been because it became very clear that the conventionalists were not going to win. Um, Villa had gotten his shit kicked in in a series of battles in 1915. He had lost thousands of men. Uh, A lot of his um, material, like cannons, machine guns, it had pretty much ended the power balance of the Civil War going forward. Uh, at the, the the series of battles at Salia, C- I believe it's pronounced, uh, the Division of the North was mostly destroyed. Um, they didn't really have anything to continue the war. Uh, so like you know, Wilson at this point is, a, oh fuck, I guess we have to support Carranza. He won by default, effectively. Now, wandering around northern Mexico, while well, Villa was probably just getting madder and madder that his pipeline had been shut off. Uh, Wilson made his support for Carranza very, very public. Uh, but Villa was swearing revenge uh, on both Carranza and the US. In reality, his division was in pretty bad shape. Uh, they were foraging for food. They lacked ammo. They didn't have replacement weapons anymore to continue their war, and they didn't even have enough horses for their men. Uh, while via yeah like they were raiding um (laughs) stuff they were raiding like villages that were technically under their control and stealing shit from people
1: oh oh, god it's the sack of constantinople (laughs) all over again (laughs) everything comes back to constantinople baby and i'll be
0: taking this and this and this it'd be a shame if somebody came by and stole all your horses like i'm doing right now (laughs) if you don't support my faction of this war uh your enemy might come and, and steal, steal from you. you like I'm doing right now.
1: Who would do that? That person would be a monster.
0: I'm only stealing from you because the Americans fucked me over. All right. This has nothing to do with me. This isn't my fault. Now, Via had managed to escape uh, these last battles alive, uh, but most of his junior leaders had been captured or killed. Um, and generally those who were captured were also killed. Wasn't a great time. <laughs> Uh, and you know he was just kind of slowly moseying north away from the Kuranza uh, military. And more importantly, because of these things that we talked about, like him robbing and raiding people within the north, he was losing popular support. So he needed to start shifting blame for all of the things that the U.S. was guilty of in the situation, which was, you know, plenty uh, via losing battles is not one of them. But he had to make it. That was the case.
1: USA, (laughs) USA, (laughs) USA.
0: You're just making a a list of things that are our fault. And it's like 40 fucking things Mm long. One thing that we're not at fault of via losing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now via told his men that they lost because the U S had obviously sold them defective weapons on purpose in order to tank their campaign. I assume everybody who believed this forgot that the weapons that they were carrying worked perfectly fine in the battles that they had just fought. Now, this is kind of a fun theory uh, because it's like, look at all these people I let into combat and got killed. Clearly, this is because they're weapons and not me. Uh, despite the fact both Via and Carranza had been on the same side not that long ago and got their weapons from the exact same source throughout <laughs> every stage of this war. While that reasoning is ridiculous, Via and his soldiers were getting mad at the U.S. for other very valid reasons. And This is where shit's going to get kind of dark. Um They accused the U.S. of buying and selling Mexico and, you know, Carranza of being a puppet, which, sure. Uh, But on top of that, there was news uh, trickling down from Texas about what was effectively a pogrom being committed against Mexican people in Texas. And this turned into like a revenge cry. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what is known as the massacre. Oh, Uh, wow. Hundreds, possibly thousands of Mexicans across Texas were being lynched and brutalized with full support of the Texas state <sighs> and aided by law enforcement. Yep. Yep. Even, even Those- Texas farm owners were concerned because things were becoming so insane. Their farmhands were fleeing back south into an active war zone to escape it. Most of this violence is committed out by civilians, but a lot of it was also carried out by the Texas Rangers, who are acting as little more than a death squad across the entire state, even murdering Americans who happen to look Mexican with impunity. Their unhinged, violent racism knew no bounds. In El Paso, just over the border, 20 Mexicans were arrested by a local police department for no reason and then forced to be deloused with kerosene, and then they were set on fire.
1: I hate this country, man. I just like yep. hate this stupid fucking country. I feel I ha- very,
0: I- very comfortable saying that this was a pogrom.
1: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Uh, you know, one day we'll have an episode where no one dies. One day.
0: Nah, if I have anything to do with it. I know, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not going to both sides this because that would be... Um,
1: Thank you, Joe. It would be impossible,
0: <laughs> but... I will say that the U S was somehow not the only actor attempting to fuel a race war. The situation,
1: which, <laughs> which I do have to
0: say is probably the first time I've had to point this out. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 both were doing race war. Now I will say that the, the Carranza so-called San Diego plan was a, was a theory. Like it, it, it was a theorized plan that they could do. It was not carried out. The things that we're talking about in Texas happened. So, you know, Credit where credit's due, I suppose. I'm not actually trying to do this plan. Now, I do have to say some people actually blame Huerta for coming up with this plan. It's kind of hazy. Now, the San Diego plan was to harness the racial animosity between Tejanos and white people to spark a race war throughout the American Southwest with the oh, ultimate okay. goal of killing every adult white American and pretty much enslaving the children.
1: What the fuck? What? <laughs> <laughs> what
0: (laughs) right obviously this plan never took shape uh only in the nightmares uh uh, and daydreams of very very weird people in the south is this ever actually happening uh but yeah uh like this this only like actually appeared in the form of cross-border raids um but she's still jesus christ guys like, it is hard to talk about a pogrom in the state of Texas and then be like, well, actually, there was going to be a different <laughs> one. <laughs> Fuck. There was also an incident where fighters that uh, most people seem to be Vias men hijacked a train carrying American employees of the American Smelting and Refining Company, who probably uh, deserved it, capturing 16 of them, stripped them naked, and then shot them in the back Never of their head. Never <laughs> mind. I like oh, Look man if you're going to execute me at least let me die with dignity let me keep my fucking
1: pants on yeah, Exactly <laughs> Come on like you're already you're already executing me man like like you're already being a dick I am six foot four
0: and two hundred and forty five pounds. You were six pan, foot three
1: like two weeks ago. My, my pants—it it
0: depends on how much I drank the night before—and like uh, okay. you're my clothes are not going to fit you. You can't rob me. I have to go to a specialty store for my clothing. Like, what size shoe do you wear? Uh, depends on the brand, but normally like thirteen. Hey, me too. I got some big ass feet. I got tiny hands though. <laughs> tiny hands. Many people are saying I have tiny hands. Uh, like it. it just let me let me keep my fucking pants on. Steal my shoes or whatever, but like, I'll
1: try to have my 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 dick hanging out while I'm being executed.
0: No, that's not how anybody wants to go, man. That's rude. Like, light me a cigarette. Let me do a shot or something beforehand, and then shoot yeah, me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Via eventually encamped on 500 soldiers on the other side of the uh, border, facing the small town of Columbus, New Mexico. The second-worst Columbus after Columbus, Ohio, I assume. Oh. I assume Columbus, Ohio is the worst Columbus. Um, it's now, not so bad. That's still Ohio. Uh,
1: I'm sorry. And how has
0: Jim Harbaugh been doing, Joe? Uh, I went to MSU, so I, I
1: laugh at his failures. <laughs> oh, of course you did. Oh, God. Now Lansing's uh, nice! Lansing's I'm, nice, I say, as they take the wheels off my car. Exactly.
0: Um, yeah, I, I was on, um, Britnology for trash future, uh, and, and a very special Midwest version. And I came out as being, uh, the part of Michigan Hezbollah in that I don't recognize the Ohio's right to exist. <laughs> that's fair. That's not, uh, that's, that's not wrong. <laughs> uh, N- Nate can be happy. Cause I plugged his other show and I don't often get to do that.
1: Uh, <laughs> leave this out. audio up, you fuck.
0: <laughs> i'm looking out for you buddy uh now via's men like i said were in very bad shape um they actually had significantly more men uh than the 500 thought to be like over a thousand but they didn't have enough horses guns or ammunition for them all so just some dudes <laughs> yeah so they're just like yeah you just go hang out over there and i have to say as a soldier who has done every like did everything possible in my career to get out of every mission patrol and battle that i could those guys are fucking slick They're like no no I, you could totally borrow my gun bro i got you <laughs> i'll be back here now nobody's really sure on why uh via chose columbus other than it was probably in his opinion a very rewarding target and not for the city itself uh via sent spies and scouts over the border uh, and into the town where he saw the local garrison staffed by members of the 13th cavalry regiment numbering Only about 30 guys, uh, which is less than a platoon. Uh, Not a whole lot for a a military force back then, even for a guard force. Uh, The soldiers were stationed at nearby camp, tasked uh, out to guard the town from possible raids, because these raids had occurred before. Oh, gotcha. Um, The camp also had around 300 more soldiers who were out patrolling, going down to the border, doing various other awful duties, I'm sure. sure. Being in the military in the 2000s sucked. I'm sure being in the military in 1915 sucked ass. Um, just Congratulations. You have, the-
1: you have scurvy.
0: <laughs> That's right. Now, now go patrol around on your horse until you die of heat stroke. Because <laughs> the water will kill you. Um, just to have the right picture in your head here, I should point out that the camp is so close to the town that generally the raid on the town is was actually a raid on the camp. Like The main target of the camp... The main target of the attack was the camp called Camp Furlong, but the battle is generally known as the Battle of Columbus, named after the town. Despite the town not having any fucking importance whatsoever, um, they were like effectively butted up against each other. There was no real distance. Like the town of Columbus was like one hotel and a couple dozen adobe houses. It was tactically useless. Gotcha. The thing is, his scouts had fucked up pretty bad. They scouted the local camp and assumed that the fifty year so old dudes still hanging out there, not on missions, were all there was, not the hundreds of other soldiers who were still nearby. So when they reported that uh no, like this is a great target, there's only a couple dozen guys there, Via saw a great opportunity not to like defeat the American military but to steal food, guns, and horses so Now, other people have said that Via totally knew about the true numbers of the camp um and and like. Due to loyalists, like uh, a, a Via side within Columbus. And I have a hard time believing that because it would have been very, very stupid for him to launch this attack if he had known.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Now, also a small side note here, uh, just because, you know, y- y- we always stand dunking on really bad officers. I mean, that's the name of the show, effectively. So I got one for you. Via wasn't actually sneaking up on anyone. Uh, the local US commander, a guy named Colonel Herbert Slocum. I've been given reports by at least three different people, all of whom Mexican, who hated VIA, telling him like, hey, VIA's forces are massing nearby just over in the Mexican border. I can show you where. Now, U.S. forces were forbidden from crossing the border for any reason at the time, even if they got word that an attack was coming. So Slocum just kind of shrugged, decided he couldn't do anything or even bother to reinforce the border or nearby town despite the fact that one of the warnings that he got specifically mentioned that Columbus and Camp Furlong were going to be the targets. Uh, I'm not sure if this is important to do with any of this, but uh, Slocum failed out of West Point. Um, oh, so, oh, you know, uh, whoops. Yeah, he, got, he got commissioned in a different way, but yeah.
1: Fuck it. Am I right, boys? <laughs> now, at 4
0: a.m., at March 9th, 1916, Via sent his forces over the border and into the town. Because of his lack of horses, many of the raiders wow. had to just kind of run. On front, oh, which what, a, what an indignant way to go, man. <laughs> like losing rock, paper, scissors, and having a hump so like having Fuck. to hump it into <laughs> fucking <laughs> the US border. Fuck
1: Those rocks back. in my shoe, dick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I put in a request for new shoes weeks ago, and instead you stole my horse. They <laughs> Just like, ha
1: I cannot hear you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't hear you over the side of me riding away on your horse. <laughs> Bye. Uh, because, you know, it's 4 a.m., they caught most of the town and the entire garrison sleeping. And the raiders began fil- firing wildly into every building they could, while others began to set buildings on fire. The town and the garrison quickly woke up, you know, on the count of all the gunfire and things burning. Uh, civilians grabbed the rifles and began to shoot back because this is America. This is America. <laughs> this is America. New Mexico. But really, who's counting? They're the same thing. I, th- I Honestly, <sighs> New Mexico and Texas are the same, except New Mexico sells you more turquoise shit. Having driven through both of them, I feel very comfortable <laughs> saying that. Uh-huh. You, if you close your eyes, you can't tell. Um. Now, uh, yeah, like the first line of defense was dudes with guns, um, which also made uh, uh counting civilian casualties kind of hard because like you know unarmed civilians were shot, but it's also hard to tell like did they have a gun and then they just got shot. At, well, I guess mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, Via truly found himself explaining things away like he was a cop in the situation. <laughs> Now, what Via probably thought was going to be an easy smash and grab turned into a pitch battle, mostly because of one guy, uh, which is not normally something that we could say like, no, this one guy made this entire battle happen, unless he's like the commander or whatever. Enter one Lieutenant John Lucas, commander of the camp's machine gun troop, which is a troop in cavalry parlance is a company. so a couple hundred people, like 130-ish people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is back you know, nineteen fifteen sixteen, 16, where like machine guns were kind of treated as artillery and that that you had entire artillery troops and companies and stuff is very weird. Uh, They're still kind of figuring them out. Uh, Decided that he would have to go make things interesting all on his own. He awoke in his tent to the sound of gunfire and ran out of his tent barefoot having only enough time to grab a knife for a weapon. Nice. (laughs) He fought across the camp about a half mile with said knife stabbing and slashing his way until he got to the guard tent. Once there do we know?
1: Okay. Uh, he,
0: he, it doesn't. See, he doesn't know how many people he he, he got. Gruesomely, uh, gruesomely cut up. Yeah, he just sliced the motherfuckers to ribbons on his way to his guard tent. Um, once there, he set up and commanded a single machine gun manned by two other soldiers along with him. Now, normally, a machine gun crews are you know two to three people. Back then, it was even more. I think uh, one spot or one shooter, then one person like feed and ammo because it was like not great technology and the ammo would get all bound up and feed wrong. He eventually took over the machine gun himself because the private who was shooting, (laughs) who apparently wasn't doing a great job, he's like, move over, I'll fucking
1: do this. Correct (laughs) leadership!
0: Now, uh, once there, he began to absolutely lay waste to the raiders, and this should not have been this easy. Because it's 4am, it's dark, right? How are you going to fucking tell who's a civilian, who's a One of his soldiers who's a a Uh, Via Raider. He doesn't give a fuck? He doesn't give a fuck? Actually, we have to thank Via for this, for setting the town on fire and illuminating his own positions. Oh, that's fucking brilliant. (laughs)
1: Jesus Christ, man.
0: Using the glowing light of the burning town, uh, Lucas is able to just absolutely chew the Via Raiders apart with this single machine gun. Lucas nearly single-handedly broke Via's attack, holding them back long enough for the rest of the various pieces of the 13th Regiment to show up and launch a counterattack. During the entire 90-minute-long raid, Lucas's gun fired over 5,000 rounds, nearly melting the barrel. Oh, damn. Via's men rapidly began to run from the town. Uh, this was equal parts because they didn't want none of that smoke and also because, that their-, that smoke. <laughs> <laughs> also because their goals had kind of been met. Uh, and admittedly, getting in a pitched battle with an entire U.S. cavalry unit is a bad fucking idea. Um, they had fired on soldiers and civilians alike, getting revenge. If you believe the idea that there, this is a raid on a revenge against Texan authorities, I don't because they did not raid Texas. Um, but uh, they also captured over 300 rifles, shotguns, 80 horses and 30 mules. So, you know, it was a decent smash and grab via consider this a victory, but you really can't look at that in any way. No, um, unless you're via, uh, because the raid cost them at least 63 dead on the field. It's thought to be over a hundred, um, maybe even up to like uh, almost 200 because, and here's why war crimes, um, via soldiers who were captured were not considered POWs. They were considered bandits and executed i'll do it they weren't even given a cursory trial that's rude <laughs> i mean like it's not that surprising really this is like the at this point the american southwest the american west still very much has that old school mentality mm-hmm. um also racism, that racism a, lot to a bit. That, that really helps yeah it's unfortunate um also, the dead that were left in the field and their horses were piled up and set on fire. Come on, man. Which, I mean, a- another war crime, but that one didn't exist yet. I-, I I assume because the U.S. government believed that Mexicans were zombies or
1: something and you had to burn their corpses. Ah, come on. Don't like, burn the corpses. Even now, yeah, you're I'm supposed to that bury
0: the, the enemy dead. Like you can't, you can't just leave them out in the field. I mean, you could. That's your other options. I don't feel like burying them. You can just leave them out there. But was like a burn pit, baby. <laughs> yield burn pits. Yeah. Uh, World War One veterans are going to be hawking up like a black lung. Like ah, I heard that uh, you got yours from burning trash. I know how I got my <laughs> burn pit lung. Now, in the battle, the U.S. only lost around eight soldiers. Now, I say around because somehow. Full details are lost. Um, Sometimes one guy gets subtracted or added. Um, It's kind of hard to tell and equal that civilian. So, again, it's hard to tell uh, who is an unarmed or armed civilian Um, because, you know, then the most American thing ever everybody just grabbed their weapon and started firing out their windows in the middle of the night. Um, But yeah, about 16 ish, a couple more Mm -hmm. wounded. Now, further losses for VIA would be to come. Within a few months, by August, the National Guard around the country would be called up and nearly 100,000 soldiers would now be on the U.S.-Mexico border. Fuck. Thankfully, something that would never, ever happen again for any shitty racist reasons.
1: These national guard troops are being deployed from South Dakota to Texas today. And being paid for by private donation. Which is something I was not aware was a thing. Yeah, isn't that fun? This country blows ass.
0: I'm sure nobody's taking notes for future nefarious reasons that has money. Oh, why
1: would they do that? Yeah.
0: Now, these numbers also included pretty much the entire regular army at the time, which, like we said, was very small. The army commander in the American South, General Frederick Frunston, would push for a full invasion of Mexico in order to capture and bring via to justice and president Wilson agreed. And that is where we'll pick up next time. So like, it's really hard. I, I obviously, um, I don't buy the, uh, the via revenge raid idea. It doesn't make any sense. He would attack Texas. Um, but I do understand He's like, well, you guys used to give me guns. I guess I have to go take them now. Right. That makes way more sense to me ever it's It's unique in an episode where like everybody involves kind of dickheads. Um, like I know I was always told that like Pancho Villa was some um, romantic, raiding, revolutionary type hero. Guy. yeah yeah. Um, like the reason why he raided over the border is because he lost favor. Um, he couldn't even get food from his own like uh, uh, effectively his his own villages and towns that he controlled, uh, and maybe that maybe he was super popular afterwards i mean like he he was what we're going to talk about next episode it catapulted him to be some kind of hero because i mean he did kind of just give the middle finger to the entire u.s military which is kind of funny um but it, it was definitely more because like i don't know uh, we were bad rather than he was good <laughs> right <laughs> um i don't know maybe maybe um like on the flip side i uh, would be interesting because i know we have well, listeners in mexico um like I'd be interested to how oh how it's framed in the US compared to how it's framed in Mexico honestly um obviously I don't speak Spanish I can't read um things that are published about him in in Mexico but like on the US side he you know uh in the popular theory is like he raided uh, across the border because he's a bandit and then we had to invade uh Mexico to catch him and then we just don't talk about what happened uh, just, race like, war yeah uh, the, the race, the, this is a, a graph of the race force in the middle. So <laughs> 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 fuck, this is a first. I don't know how to play that. Um, and then, you know, on the Mexican side, maybe he was, you know, a, a romantic revolutionary hero who was trying to stick it to the man. I don't fucking know. Let me know. Um, anyway, that is part one. This is a two-parter. Uh, Liam, plug your other show.
1: Uh, well, there's your problem. It's a It's a show about engineering disasters. Go listen to it.
0: And uh, thank you everybody for supports us here at Lines Led by Donkeys. Just a reminder if you support the $3 level now, you also get access to uh, our, my, I'm the only one on it for now, uh, secondary uh, I don't know, premium series, The History of Armenia, which is available on our Patreon. So thank you everybody for donating to that. And we will see you next time.